Great to have you guys here. Thanks so much for joining us. I want to say a quick hello to all of our campuses. Thanks for being a part of our services today. Hey, let's also give it up for our God Behind Bars guys. We love you guys. And this is, a, this is a special day too because God Behind Bars opens a new campus today, our Garza West campus. So welcome guys to your first week ever at Church Unlimited. We love you guys. Grateful for you. So exciting what God's doing through all of our prison campuses. And so that is our newest campus opening uh, this week. So excited about that. Hey, let's say our mission statement together. We do this every week here. What's our job? What are we here to do as a church? We're here to take as many people to heaven as we can before we die, period. That's what we're all about here at Church Unlimited. Again, thank you for coming out. Thanks for being a part of our services today. Today, we're talking about how to overcome life's struggles. We all have them. We all deal with them. And so I want to unpack a story today of a couple of ladies who had huge struggles in their life uh, named Naomi and Ruth. If you got your Bibles, you can turn there or your Bible app uh, to Ruth chapter one. But also, you can also get our notes if you want. You can get our Church Unlimited app right now. And on that, all of our notes are there. You can save the time from writing all the stuff down. Just listen. They're all there. So please download that today as well. Again, thanks for being a part of our services today. I'm going to dive right in. Here's the deal. Uh, Naomi and Ruth uh, were two, uh, basically Naomi was the mother-in-law, Ruth was her daughter-in-law. And uh, there was actually three ladies. It was Naomi, uh, Ruth, and, or and uh, Orpha. And they were all three uh, basically widowed in a very short period of time. Here's the deal. Naomi, uh, her and her husband were from Bethlehem. They went to Moab to kind of like make good with their life and rebuild their life and, you know, kind of start off. They wanted to go to a new place. And so they did. And she, she had all these great aspirations and dreams in a period of about 10 to 20 years. We're not sure exactly, but somewhere in that window, uh, her boys got married. Both of the, the uh, Naomi had two boys. They both got married to Moabite girls. And then in that period, there was a huge famine that hit. Her husband died, Naomi's husband died. Then both of her boys within 10 years of each other also passed away. So now we've got three ladies all widowed. And so you can only imagine the emotional pain of losing your spouse. You know, some of you unfortunately can really, you know exactly what that's like. Most of us don't, but I can only imagine how horrible that would be. Now, on top of that, there's an economic impact that there is, uh, first of all, there's no boys and they live in the agrarian culture. There was no one to work a field. And so it was just them. So you have an economic impact, but then you have a legal impact. And here's a legal impact that we don't understand because our culture doesn't do this. But in their day, that when, when there was no man in the house and there were no boys, there was no legal reason, there was no legal, um, there was no law allowing them to own anything. So women were not allowed to own property. So this left them in compl completely destitute. So you can imagine how horrible that is. Now, no one's agreeing with that today. We're not agreeing with it, but it is reality. And so they were definitely on plan B, C, D, E, or F of their life. And maybe someone today can relate to that. You're like, well, I started off with big aspirations of these dreams and these plans, but it hasn't gone like I thought. That's exactly where Naomi and Ruth found themselves. So what did they do with this horrible situation that seemed to have no good ending? What did they do? I want to give you five simple principles today, and I want to encourage you to write these down. And so you can follow along in the, in the story of Ruth and Naomi. And so we're going to dive right in. Here's what happens. Right after this, they discover that, you know, there's, they don't know what to do. There's, there's, uh, none of them have husbands. What, what are we supposed to do? Well, first of all, look at how it feels. Look at what Naomi said in Ruth chapter one. She said, the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. You ever felt like that? You ever felt like, man, God, are you just bad at me? God, are you against me? I mean, what is up? How are you allowing this to happen to me? Now, no one is saying that God did raise his fist against Naomi, but we do know that God allows things to happen to us that sometimes shock us like, Lord, why would you let that happen? I don't understand. God doesn't cause evil, but sometimes he allows 
bad things happen to us. So I'm sure Naomi must have been frustrated and at times wanted to shake her fist at God and say, why? Oftentimes we have to learn how to let go and open our hand and say, God, I'm going to worship you anyways. Naomi wasn't there yet. She was having a, a really tough season and, and she was not happy. She was angry. She was very frustrated. Maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you feel like this is not what I signed up for. This is not how my life was supposed to go. That's how Naomi and Ruth must have felt. And so let's pick up the scripture and let's see what they did to resolve the situation. How did they overcome this incredible life struggle? It says in Ruth chapter one, verse six, then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah, that's Israel, by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, uh, she set out from the place where she had been living and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah, back to where she was from. So the first thing I want to just point out here is, is kind of obvious, but we oftentimes struggle with this. When life is unfair, when things don't go right, when you're in the middle of an adversity, we tend to get paralyzed and, and, be, and, and just afraid to do anything. We tend to just want to ball up and just kind of forget about it, to go into full escapism and just lose ourselves in Netflix or the internet or whatever and just not do anything. But that's exactly what we should not do Actually, the simple answer here, then this may seem simple, but many times we struggle with this. Number one, would you write this down? When you're stuck, make a decision. You gotta learn to make a decision to improve your situation. Even if it's not gonna fix everything, you gotta make a decision. So Naomi's decision is pretty simple. Look, we're in a famine. None of us can really work. We don't have any money. We have no protection. I heard there's good crops right now in Israel, so let's head home so we can eat. I love how it says they took the road towards Judah. They didn't say in the scripture, they went because they already had arranged plans and knew where they were gonna stay and knew who they're gonna live with and how they're gonna work out. She didn't know any of that yet. She just had to make a decision. Listen, listen. She had to make a decision based upon limited information. And a lot of times we wanna know the future and have it all worked out before we do anything. But if you have to know everything and how it's gonna work out before you step forward, you won't step forward. We have to learn to do things even when we don't know how it's going to turn out. But pastor, but the problem is, what if I get out of God's will? What if I miss God's plan for my life? I love that question. Here's my response to that. Do you actually think you're big enough to mess up God's will? Do we think we're so powerful that we can mess up the awe-inspiring creator of the whole universe and his plans? I'm pretty sure that God can lead us. Now, I used to have a car a long time ago that didn't have power steering. Some of you guys remember this, I'm only dating myself, but years ago they had cars that didn't have power steering, which just means right right now, if you get in your car, you turn it on, you can just kind of turn the wheel, it's not a big deal. But if you don't have power steering, it doesn't work like that. You're having to pull it and barely turn it right. But once you get the car rolling, it's easy to turn it, right? In the same way, when it comes to, to knowing what to do next, you say, well, what if I make the wrong decision? Just get rolling and God can turn you where he needs you to go. If you'll just get moving in the direction God's leading you, he will turn you, he will lead you right where you need to be. Get moving, make a decision. Even if it's the wrong decision, make a decision. God can turn that and shift you. So I got A, B, and C, pick one, do it. And if God's not in it, he'll lead you to another path, it's okay. But right now, doing nothing is not a good move. Do something, but, but Pastor Bill, I'm bankrupt and this is a big mess. Well, it could be that your inaction or indecision led you to bankruptcy. So we need to do something to get out of it. And so I don't know the exact answer for you, but I know this, if you'll seek wise counsel, 
Make a decision, it'll get better. So I just want to encourage you, whatever you're facing, whatever your difficulty is, make a decision. Don't be paralyzed and afraid to do something. Now, I want to show you what happens next. Ruth basically uh, is told by her mother-in-law, actually Ruth and Orpah, both, both girls are told by her mother-in-law, hey, look, y'all don't have to stay with me. Naomi says, girls, you're young. You can get remarried. You know, I, I'm older now. That, those days are probably gone for me, but not for you. Neither of you have children. You're both beautiful. Basically, she's, she's saying, your life is here in Moab. Just stay here. Go ahead and go back with your family. You're not going to offend me. I'll go back to Israel on my own, and you guys can go on. Well, Orpah takes her up on it, but the, Ruth doesn't. Look at the scripture. It says in verse 14, and again, they wept together, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you or turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. Wow. Talk about dedication. You know what she's saying? She's saying, hey, when I married your son, I married this family, and so you got me. I'm not going anywhere. She didn't have to do that. She certainly had every right to go say, hey, it didn't work out. I, I, I was faithful to your son until he died. That's all I'm required to do. She could have gone back home. She didn't do that. She said, no. This also tells us something about Ruth's face, that she said, no, no, my God has become your God. She said, when I married your son, I married into your faith, and I want you to know that that's my faith now. And so I, it's not an option for me to go back to Moab. That, that's not who I worship anymore, and, and that's not who I am anymore. And so she said, I'm with you, Ruth. And look, what, look um, she said, I'm with you, Naomi. And look what Naomi does. Verse 18, when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. This is really important because you know what? A lot of times the pain we have in our lives, a lot of times the struggle we have involves relationships. And maybe someone has died or maybe someone has left you. Maybe you, you, you just think, man, I thought I was going to be best friends with this person for my whole life, but they betrayed me. I thought I was going to work at this company forever, and they had layoffs, you know, or, or, or I just can't stand it. I need to quit, get another job. I can't work here anymore. One of the things I need to tell you that this may be painful, but I hate to break this to you, but who you start off in life with, you normally don't end up with. I'm just letting you know now, the people that are with you early on oftentimes are not the same people that are with you later on in life. I wish this were not the case, but I don't know any exceptions to this rule that someone that you trusted and believed in and thought would always be there isn't. And so that's, that's very normal. But you know what we tend to do? We tend to take our two good hands and we want to reach out and grab hold of the person leaving and be like, please don't leave, please don't go. We want to beg them to stay. The problem is you only have two hands. So we have to learn to let go of who's leaving so we can embrace who's staying. So I want to encourage you today that maybe you need to emotionally say, okay, I need to forgive, let go of this person so that I can embrace who is with me today. Please don't, because you know what we do? We, we, we keep reaching for the one who left and we keep pushing away emotionally the ones who are there and say, no, I don't want to talk to you. We need to do the exact opposite. Let go of who's leaving, embrace who stayed with you. I want to encourage you with that. Number two, let go of those who leave, embrace those who stay. You only have two hands. Make sure you use them wisely. Hold on to those who've decided to stay with you. So look what happens next. So the two of them continued on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited for their arrival. Is it really Naomi? The, woman, the women asked. Now let me stop here and let me tell you what's going on. Naomi is not that popular. It's just a small town, okay? And so th this is, in fact, scholars tell us that Bethlehem was, at this point, the total population would have been between 500 and 700 people. 
It's a very small town. This is like going to a 2A high school. Everyone knows each other, right? I mean, the whole town, they all know one another. That's basically where she went back to. Is it really Naomi? The women asked. Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Wow. This is a bitter woman. She's angry. She's like, God, this is not how it's supposed to go. Can we just be honest among each other and admit that we kind of want to one day go back to like that high school reunion and show how successful we've become? Isn't it funny how we all, for some reason or something built in us that, to want to show people what we've become? She goes back home and that's not her story. And so she's embarrassed, right? I mean, there's a reason why everybody goes on a diet before the high school reunion, right? So they can show like, I always look this skinny. Well, the problem is they have Facebook too, so they can see that you're fat. I'm sorry. <laughs> They see it, okay? So the deal is, is we all want to look a certain way and like, oh, I'm successful and everything's going great in my life. We want to kind of present ourselves like that. But sometimes that's not what life has given you. She says, I went away full. I mean, I was married and had these kids and we're going to go, you know, really take on life and succeed. And it didn't go like that. That's not how it turned out for me. And so she's embarrassed. She's hurt. She's mad. So Naomi returned to Moab with Ruth. They arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. A couple things I want to point out. She says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Naomi actually means pleasant. She was basically saying, first of all, my life is not pleasant and I'm not pleasant. She was probably not pleasant to be around at this point. She was angry. She said, call me Mara. Mara means bitter, but it also means strength. You know, the Bible has a way of just calling us out. And let me explain what this really means. For her to be bitter and strong, what, what she's bitter about, she's like, I had to be strong because there wasn't a man there to be strong for me. I wonder if there's some ladies in the room today that have had to be strong because a man has not played his role. This is a common thing. And so a lot of times women are angry, but men, we may have created that by not stepping into the role God gave us. So oftentimes this leads to a bitterness and anger or resentment. And she says, call me Mara. I'm strong, but I don't want to be. I had to be because my husband wasn't there. Now, he was not his fault. He, he had died, obviously, but she's, she's mad. Like, this is not how life's supposed to go. Can you imagine being alone in the Middle East, ladies? Just imagine there's no man there. You're alone. I mean, I don't want to be alone as a man in the Middle East. I cannot imagine being a woman in the Middle East. That'd be terrifying. And so she's like, I don't want to be strong, but I've, I've had to be strong. But I love how God gives us a little clue what's next. Since they arrived in Bethlehem, but they didn't just arrive. They said they arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. I've got some good news for you. Would you do this? Number three, I want to encourage you to prepare for your next season. Even when life is not working out like you want, always be preparing for the next season. If you're not happy this year, let's do some things now so that next year you're happy. Because here's the thing. After every winter is spring. Early springtime is, harvest, is, is when you plant so that late spring, early summer, you harvest. And so if you live right, then you should be living in the harvest of the last plant. And so if you're not happy with where your life is, we are all the total conglomerate of the decisions we've made up to this point. So if you're not happy today with where you are, here's the good news. 
There's another harvest time coming. So if you'll plant new seeds in your life today, you'll have a new life that's different with a new harvest next year. So I want to encourage you, you can change things right now. It's not too late. You know, as a church, we're constantly wanting to plant and harvest. And, and so we're always trying to do things to reach more people for Christ. You know, right now we're, we're in just unprecedented times as a church because we're growing and, you know, things are happening. We're, we're hitting new highs with people coming in. More people are getting saved. More lives are being changed than ever before. And, and the reason why is because many, many years ago, back, about five and a half years ago, actually, we decided to make a decision to go open a campus in San Antonio. We didn't know what we we're doing. We just made a decision. Let's just, let's just go have a meeting and see what happens, right? Talk about making a decision without, with limits information. We didn't know what to do next, but let's just go have a meeting and see what happens. 200 people showed up. We're like, whoa, this is great. It looks like we have enough people here to probably gather some people and try to start a location. So then we didn't know where to go. And God eventually over time opened the door for one part of town over another. So we ended up over in the Stone Oak area. And, and we thought, oh, this is going to go smooth. It did not go smooth at all. We had all kinds of struggles and challenges like any campus does, but we just stayed with it and stayed with it. Eventually we raised money, we sacrificed, we planted, we sowed seed of sacrifice by giving over the last few years. And because of that, we built a building and now we've reached a new harvest. And now five and a half years later, there's 1500 people going to church in San Antonio, the Stone Oak campus right now. That's the harvest. And as great as that is, that's awesome. But if we sit back now, get comfortable and go, oh man, this is great. Let's just take it easy now. Isn't this wonderful? Then there won't be a new harvest next year. If you want a perpetual harvest, you have to do perpetual planting. But don't get upset when the harvest dries up when you didn't plant. So I'm excited that God's doing something now, but you know what you do when you get momentum? You take the seed from that new harvest and you plant more. And so that's what we're going to do as a church. That's what we should be doing as people. Always planting seed, always reaching out, always making an impact. This is why, by the way, in about six weeks, we have our annual offering. And I'm not going to talk on it long now, but I just want to mention it now to ask you to be praying prayerfully about what God would lead you to give. Because if we don't sacrifice, then we shouldn't be upset next year if there's not much of a harvest. But if we'll continue to sow into God's work, because people sacrifice at all of our campus. This is why we were able to open that beautiful new campus. We have a new campus opening up. We're, we're trying to get it open by this Easter. Rockport, it's taken longer than we wanted, but guess what? It should be opening very soon. We're excited about that. We're, we're, we're past breaking ground. We're, we're, we're starting to build this exciting things happening. It's not all, you can't walk up and see it all yet, but there's a lot of stuff happening right now, but it's coming very soon. Guess what? We planted that, we sowed into that, and we're gonna see a harvest come from there as well. And so let me ask you this in your life. Is there an area that's a little dry? Is there an area where you're not seeing a harvest? Have you planted in that area? Or maybe you're seeing some results, but not the results you want. Is it time to, to reinvest and double up and plant more in that area to do more? I'm just not seeing a relationship with one of my kids, but have you sowed enough into them? I'm really not where I want to be in my career. Have you sowed enough into your career? I want to encourage you to do that, to, to, to plant more. And if you'll do that, you are entering a, the next season. Even if things are dry now, you can change that by sowing into your future. I want to encourage you to do that. So now here's what happens next. And so they end up in Bethlehem. They're back home. Uh, well, I should say Naomi's back home. Ruth is not from there. So this is all new to her. But look what happens next. Now, there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. Now, that, that's her husband who passed away. One day, Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. Naomi replied, all right, my daughter, go ahead. 
So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz. While she was there, Boaz arrived and asked his foreman, who is that young woman over there? Who does she belong to? Huh, that's an interesting question to ask Boaz. She's like, hey, who's that? Now, the first thing we know is a businessman, that these were all employees of his working his field. And so, you know, he probably would just feel like, who's the new girl? Is it, did you, you know, he goes to the foreman, did you hire her? I don't know, I've never seen her before, right? But then he also said, who does she belong to? Now, there's two reasons to ask that. One is the legal reason, which is that, again, that most women are, are married to a man that gives him a lot of legal rights. So he could be asking for that reason, but I have a tendency to believe he was asking because he was considering swiping right. I think he wanted to know, <laughs> who's that girl over there? She's kind of cute, right? I mean, we don't know exactly, but I find it interesting that she, he quickly said, who is she and who is, who's she with? Who she belong to, right? And so I, I love that second question, gives us a little bit of, bit of insight there. But before we get to that, before we get to that relationship side, let me just stop and just say, notice that she got up and she was like, look, I don't know anyone in this town, but I know we need to eat. So she turns to her mother-in-law, it's okay with you, I'm gonna go see if I can stir up some food for us. And so she found herself in a field working. And let me just challenge you with this, it may seem really simple, but I don't care how bad your life is getting, it'll get worse if you don't stay productive. I mean, let me just encourage you that. Oh, I just gone through a big breakup. It's just such a mess. I'm just so distraught. I just, I don't think I can go to class this week. Bad idea. That's how you go from lack of self-confidence because he or she broke up with you to now I have a grade problem too. It's gonna complicate your life. It's not gonna make it better. Oh, I'm just so struggling with this kid. If I have so many problems, we had this huge fight. I'm just too tired. I'm not gonna go to work today. You're about to compound your problems. Please don't do that. Stay productive. I don't care what you're going through. When we find you, may we find you working. Stay diligent. Stay active. Keep going. When people have said to me after losing a spouse, I don't know what to do this next week. I tell them, I'm going to really tell you something that's going to shock you. But when you can, within a few days, go back to work. Go back to doing what you used to do. Get back in your routine. Stay productive. You're, it's not gonna, your life will not improve staying curled up on a ball in your bed. It will not improve your situation. Stay active. I promise you, I'm saying this with compassion, guys. Notice that Ruth, she was destitute. She didn't know anyone in the whole, whole town. She, she was new there, right? She doesn't have her husband. She's like, I don't know what to do today, but I'm gonna go and bring home some food. Great idea. And when she did that, guess what? She didn't even realize, but that positioned her to meet a guy named Boaz. So it positioned her. So number four, work the field you find yourself in and God will open doors for you. Can you imagine? I mean, here's this Boaz, this amazing guy, this guy that loves the Lord, you know, says here he's, he's influential, he's wealthy. I mean, he's like, he's quite the catch basically, right? And so he's a little older, but you know, she wouldn't even met him if she hadn't have gone to work. But because she stayed active, she got out there and she just happened to be working and she just happened to meet this guy. Well, you know, with God, there's no accidents. And so God was lining things up. He was about to take care of her. In fact, let me show you the next scripture. It's very interesting what happens next. So she comes home and she tells Naomi about this because when she met Boaz, he was really nice to her. Look what happens. Ruth said, the man I worked with today is named Boaz. May the Lord bless him, Naomi told her, Naomi told her daughter-in-law. He is showing his kindness to us as well as to your dead husband. She's basically saying, hey, I, that's one of our family members. And he knew your, your husband. He knew him. So Boaz probably knew, if this is family, probably Boaz was like, oh, okay, yeah, I heard they were coming home. I know who that is. I didn't recognize her because I didn't know her. She from Moab, but I knew who her husband was. So he put the dots together. 
That man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers. Now, a family redeemer is something that we're not used to hearing in our culture today, but a family redeemer in Israel meant that they could do what's called Leverite marriage if necessary. So let's just say, ladies, that you have a husband and you have children, but you don't have any boys. You have three daughters, which is great, but it doesn't give you rights in Israel, at least in ancient Israel it didn't, okay? So your husband passes away. Now you have all this property or whatever you own or your home, and you're thinking, I don't have any right to any of this without having a man in the home. So then the Leverite law said that your brother-in-law, your, your husband's brother, could come marry you, try to produce a child, a boy, so that you can continue the family name and keep the rights. Now, I'm not recommending or agreeing with this kind of philosophy today, <laughs> but that's how they did it. That was essentially how they took care of their own, okay? So that's what they would do. And so, so that's basically Naomi saying, this is incredible, Boaz happens to be a family redeemer. This guy could take care of you if he chose to. And so let me just fast forward the story and just tell you real quick what happened. There's a lot of scriptures to read. I don't have time to go into that, so I'm just gonna tell you real quick, okay? Here's what happens. By all means, go home and read it. It's a really great story, okay? So Boaz is being nice to her. It looks like he's being a little sweet towards her, right? Like, okay, what's going on here, right? And so Ruth is, you know, just really respectful towards him. And he's a little older, so I think Boaz is not really expecting Ruth to like him like that. Uh, because he's, he's, he's about, you know, scholars tell us he's probably about 20 years older than her, at least. And so because of that, you know, you, you would think that she probably would go for a younger man, right? When Naomi one day wakes up and says to Ruth, hey, Ruth, look, we need to find you a husband. And so here's what I want you to do. I know Boaz. I know where he goes at night and he eats and drinks and goes to sleep in this particular spot. And so tonight, I want you to get dressed up and I want you to go. And when he goes to sleep, just wait till he falls asleep and then go sit at his feet. Now, just to fill it in, he's not suggesting she go sleep with him. Okay, this is what that means. When you sit at someone's feet, you're saying, I am your servant. Okay, and so, and she said, he'll tell you what to do. I love that line. I'm like, oh, I'm sure he would want to tell her what to do, <laughs> but it's not what you and I are imagining, okay? To show you the honor Boaz has, he, he actually, whenever he wakes up, he has this moment where he's like, whoa, who's at my feet? Who is this, right? He's like, whoa, who, who are you? He kind of rubs his eyes like, Ruth? And she said, this is what she said. She said, I'm your servant. Would you cover me? Would you, would, you, would you cover me with your blanket? That is not saying have sex with me like we think. That's saying, that's essentially what she just did is she just asked him to marry her. So talk about blowing up the sex roles real fast. That's just what happened. Like he didn't ask her, she asked him. And she basically was saying, like, I know that you're, you are one of our family redeemers. Would you, would you bring covering to me? So he, being a stand-up guy, says, okay, um, he says, actually, there's someone in line before me. I love that line because it's like, huh, Boaz, you've thought about this. <laughs> so he clearly was interested in her too. And he says, you know what? Here's what I want you to do. He says, stay at my feet. That's not an insult. He's saying, I'm not going to sleep with you, okay? I'm not going to do that because it's not right. And he says, I want you to stay at my feet. This is what he said. You read the scriptures really powerful. He says, stay at my feet. Go back to sleep and then before sunlight slip out. Basically, he's saying, this is a dangerous area. I don't want you walking home you know, right now. So he was saying, to bring honor to your name, I don't want you to be here all night because that people will assume if you're all night with someone, what's going down, right? So he says, just, just sleep here for safety, but then before it's light, go home because you're, I know you're a virtuous woman. I want everyone to, to continue to believe you're a virtuous woman because you are. And so then he said, I'm going to go talk to the first in line family redeemer, and I'll let you know what I can do at that point. Basically, he's saying, I'm interested absolutely 
and marrying you, but legally, there's someone who legally has right first. So then he goes and finds that family redeemer and he asks him, hey, do you want this land? The guy's like, sure, I'll take the land. He goes, no, 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 it comes with a wife. Whoa, hold on. I don't know if I can do that. Because apparently this guy has his own family. He's like, no, that's going to really mess up things for me. He says, so I'll, I'll waive my rights. And he says, okay, Boaz says, okay, did everyone else hear that? Could he gather the people, the city elders to, to make sure they heard? That's what makes it legal. So, so we in agreement here? Okay, good. So you're waiving your rights. Okay, great. So then I plan on marrying Ruth. So then let's pick up in scripture and see what happens next. It says here, Boaz took Ruth into his home and she became his wife. The Lord enabled her to become pregnant and she gave birth to a son. Then the women of the town said to Naomi, praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age for he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you as uh, it, who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. They named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse, the grandfather of David, who became King David. This is the lineage of Jesus. For those of you who think, man, God can't do anything in my life. You don't know my family. This is the lineage of Jesus. This is Mari Povich show right here. <laughs> and this is the lineage of Jesus, which means if God can do something great in their lives, as messed up as that seems, then God can do something great in your life too. Just be encouraged today. Number five, please write this down. Act in faith and know that your redeemer is coming for you. I think it's so cool that Boaz was not the first in line. There was another guy in line. He rejected her and Boaz, not having to be legally required to do it, said, I choose her. Jesus is like that. Every Old Testament story is a picture of us in Christ. Boaz is Christ in the story. Ruth is us. We are the bride of Boaz, the bride of Christ. And Christ didn't have to save us. He didn't have to redeem us. He chose to redeem us. I've got good news for you. There is a God who loves you, who's there for you. Can I tell you something else about Bethlehem? We've been talking about names and what they mean. Boaz means inner strength. You may have had to be strong because someone wasn't, but God will be the strength you need. I'm gonna tell you something else about the name Bethlehem. The name Bethlehem means house of bread and house of war. Think about this. These ladies went to Moab and none of them at that point on produced children. Naomi's children came when she was in Bethlehem. She took them, her boys with her. Her boys couldn't produce children and neither could she anymore when they were in Moab. But the moment, the moment, I'm thinking about famine, no children, no new harvest, nothing. Dried up their whole life. The moment they came back to Bethlehem, Bethlehem represents God, his house. The moment they came out to Bethlehem, within weeks, within weeks, there was a budding relationship between Boaz and Ruth. They get married. Within weeks of that, she finally gets pregnant. And I'm here to tell you this. Some of you have been trying for decades in the world, trying to seek your own, trying to make something happen. But if you'll just come to the house of God, here's what happens. It's a house of bread and a house of, a house of war, which means we're going to feed you God's truth and teach you to fight. That's why you should be in God's house every single week. Let's take a moment to pray right now across all of our campuses with your head bowed and your eyes closed. I want to encourage you during this prayer time. Maybe today you need to be fed. Welcome to Bethlehem. That's how God works. And if you'll come to his house, he will birth new dreams, new seasons in you. In fact, I've got some good news for you. Maybe you're in a dry season right now. I believe today God is saying, see, do you not perceive it? I am doing a brand new thing. God is saying to you today, and I speak over this, over you in Jesus' name, that this is a new season you're entering right now. 
How many of you receive that? If you do, just lift your hand high. Just say, thank you, God, that the dry season's over and the new season's beginning. Help me to plant, God. Help me to plant so that new season turns into a massive harvest of your blessing over my family, of your blessings over my emotions, your blessings over my health, your blessings over my career. God, please, I ask you for a new season today. Your head bowed and your eyes closed. You are in the house of God. You've been fed the bread but we want to teach you to fight too. We want to challenge you to be here every single week. We're going to teach you to fight. We're going to teach you to fight that battle every single day to honor the Lord and to be who God called you to be, not who the world wants to conform you to be, but who God says you are. That's why we're here. If your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you never trusted Christ to be your Lord and your Savior, you can pray with me right now and you can receive Jesus as your Savior. Pray this prayer with me. You can say, dear Jesus, I realize I need you. I believe you died for my sin. I believe you are my family redeemer. So redeem me, Lord. Save me, change me. I repent of my sins. I make you my Lord and my savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Isn't God good? His word is so true. Thank you so much.